ask everybody to make their way back to their seats. Good morning, everybody. Hey. For those of you that don't know, uh, my name is Lee Shepard. I'm one of the leaders here at Fellowship. Uh, I have the privilege from time to time to open up God's Word Sunday morning with you guys. Uh, And it is, yeah, once again, just a real honor to do that this morning. Um, Yeah, if Aaron's favorite season is summer, mine is winter. Uh, it's cool. I, you know, I shouldn't share this. I'm, I like the dark, right? I, I, I like the no leaves on the trees. I'm a movie villain. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. It's... It, it is my temptation to sit in suffering, right? It, it, is, it, is my, it is my temptation to think that there is only winter. And so I actually need people who say, man, I, I really like summer. I like it when things change. I like it when things are growing. I like it when the sun is out and shining, right? I need to be reminded that there is goodness. Um, and that is the, the beauty of the series that we've been going through. Um, we've been looking at the goodness of God uh, and how in every moment, in every way, whether it looks like it or not, God is good. And he is good specifically to his people, to us. Uh, and I think the, the, the thing that we've kind of been on the edge of, that we've been leading up to, um, that certainly it is impossible to avoid when you're talking about God's goodness, is what happens when God's goodness runs into the brokenness of the world. What does it mean for God to be good when there is suffering, when there is darkness, when there's pain. Um, and I promise we are not going to sit there the whole time, <laughs> no matter how much I want to. Uh, God is good. And when his goodness runs up against the pain and the suffering of the world, we have a choice, right? We have a choice that either God is good or he isn't. We can either run to God, we can run away. And so one of the reasons that we've been doing this series, why we've looked week after week, the ways that God is good and the way he's shown himself to be good to his people in the past, in the present. And the way that we can celebrate that goodness together is so that we have a place to run to. It's so that we can know when that moment comes. Psalm 23, 
God's goodness leads me. It protects me. It pursues me all the days of my life, even in the presence of my enemies, even in the valley of the shadow of death. God's goodness is there. Or Psalm 27, that when there is trouble, and even if I've been abandoned by everyone, God's goodness can be found, and it can be found today. It can be found in the land of the living. Psalm 73, that when I stumble, when the evil of the world seems to be winning, God is near me, and his nearness is my good. We have a place to run to when it seems like things are out of control. The place that I found myself running to this week um, and where I often find myself going um, is Hebrews chapter 2. Um, and this is what it says. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. Um, starting in verse 8. It says, For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. <clears throat> and I had to run here this week when I saw the scenes on TV of children the same age as my kids being murdered. I just had to cry out, God, this is not the way it should be. This is, it does not look like you are in control. It does not look like right now that all things are in subjection to you. And so, God, would you come quickly? God, and put things right. I had to run here this week as my dad was having brain surgery. And for the first time, I think, in my life, I saw him not as the man of steel that would always be there, um, but actually as, as a man who is closer to the end of his life than the beginning. And I just, I had, I had to praise Jesus that it is not pointless. And that there is a hope that because he went through suffering and death, he brings many sons to glory. And that there is a hope past what I see right now. So I go, I go to Hebrews 2, and it reminds me of, of these two things. That first, even, even when I don't see all things as they should be, I can see Jesus. 
I can see the one who we sang about this morning, the one who bleeds, the one who suffered, the one who rose again in victory. I can see him when I can't see anything else. And then the second thing is that when we look at this, we can see a pattern. We can see a shape to suffering. We can see, like Aaron said, that suffering is not the end. It does not get the last word. That suffering is actually a point on the road to the end. And the end is glory. And we can see Jesus, God himself, coming down, entering into this story, entering into this pattern of falling and rising, this pattern of suffering and death and glory. And him, because he entered, because he passed through, because he suffered the same things that we do, receiving glory and honor, not just for himself, but so that he can bring many sons to glory. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger story. There's a pattern of life that emerges as we look at suffering that Jesus himself walked through, this falling and rising, that I think we can see on nearly every page of the Bible. Um, The place we are going to look this morning is the story of Joseph. Um, And the big idea that we're going to be looking at is that God is good at every moment of your story. And that doesn't mean that every moment of your story is good. It means God is good. Right? We're, not, we're not looking today at how to get rid of the problem of suffering. Pain is not going away as long as we are alive. Right? We're looking at how does God shape our stories to match the pattern of Jesus? And how do we find comfort in this pattern of falling and rising, of death and glory? And how does that pattern lead us to bring life to others? How how do we suffer well so that we can look like Jesus, so that we can bring more than pain out of this life, so that pain and suffering is not the end of our story, but life and glory. So we're going to hold on to all of that, and I'm going to try to briefly tell the story of Joseph. Okay, so his story begins in Genesis chapter 37. It covers 12 chapters. I'm going to try to be quick. Um, so Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. His father, Jacob, um, loves Joseph more than his other 
11 sons and however many daughters. Um, Joseph is the oldest son of Jacob's favorite wife. Right? And if, and if <laughs> all of that is confusing, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the family that God chose to bring blessing to the world is messy. Like if there was any point, if there, sorry, this is completely out of the blue. If there was ever a chance that you thought the Bible was about God using good people to bring good in the world, read Genesis, right? Read about, read about Abraham's family. It's a mess. Um, and Joseph is not immune from this, right? He is the favorite son, and at 17, he gets a dream in which um, uh, the bushels of hay are, are bowing down. Eleven bushels are bowing down to him. And then later, another dream where eleven stars and the planets and the moon are bowing down to him. And just like any spoiled 17-year-old, he runs his mouth like crazy about it to his brothers, to his mom and dad, to anybody that'll listen. And his brothers hate him for it. And so they come up with a plan that one day while they are out watching the flock, Joseph comes to check on them. They see him from a long way off and they say, here comes the dreamer. Let's get rid of him and his dreams. They take him, they throw him in a pit, they're going to kill him. They decide that rather than kill him, they'll make a little money on the deal. They'll sell him to some traders, slave traders. Joseph is sold. He goes to Egypt where he is bought as a slave, and he works for a man named Potiphar. Um, Apparently, Joseph is uh, quite good-looking, and Potiphar's wife decides that she would like to take a swipe at him. Uh, And that ends poorly. Joseph is accused of something that he didn't do. He's thrown in jail. And it's it's not clear exactly how long Joseph is in jail, but it looks like that at least 13 years of Joseph's life are spent either as a slave or in prison for being falsely accused of rape. At the end of that time, um, Joseph meets two of Pharaoh's former servants. They both have dreams. Um, Joseph gives the interpretation that for one of the men, he's going to go back into the service of Pharaoh, and for the other, he's going to be killed. Uh, The one who goes back into the service of Pharaoh uh, Says he's going to remember Joseph, but he doesn't. And Joseph actually spends another two years in prison after this. Finally, Pharaoh has a dream, and the man remembers Joseph and says, there is a Hebrew who can interpret dreams. So Joseph interprets the dream, says that there are seven years of good crops coming. But that after that, there are seven years of famine that will completely wipe out the seven years of plenty that came before. Pharaoh says, 
I can't believe you interpreted this dream. I'm going to put you in charge of the entire kingdom. I want you to figure out how to deal with the crops that are coming and the famine that's coming. Anything you need, you do it. You're second in command of the entire kingdom. It's a pretty sweet deal for Joseph. Um, so he, he sets things up. Um, the Egyptians take a fifth of everything that's grown in the first seven years. They store it up. When the famine comes, they're able to sell what they collected um, back to the people and actually back to the surrounding countries as well. They're also going through famine. We're almost there. Meanwhile, Joseph's brothers and his family, they're experiencing the famine. They say the only place in the whole world that has any grain is Egypt. And so 10 of them go. Benjamin, the youngest, stays behind. They go and they actually come face to face with Joseph, but they don't know it. And they bow down to him and honor him as the ruler of Egypt. And they ask for grain. And Joseph is, is overwhelmed in the presence of his brothers. He gives them grain, and he actually puts uh, the money that they were supposed to pay for it with back in, their, back in their bags. His brothers tell them that they are 12 brothers and a father. Joseph tells them that the only way that they'll get grain again is if they bring their youngest son or their youngest brother back to Egypt with them. They go home with their grain. They get to the point where they, they need more food. Come back, they bring Benjamin. And this whole, the whole story is, is, is really crazy. Joseph does not treat his brothers well. Um, in fact, he keeps Reuben in jail for some amount of time. Um, finally, all, all the brothers are reunited. Joseph shows who he is. He's their brother. The whole family comes to live in Egypt. Um, Jacob comes back. There's a, there's a reunion. And then finally, in chapter 50, um, Jacob dies and they go with him to, to be buried in the land of Canaan. Um, and this is where, this is where we're going to focus, is chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. 
So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So the big idea that we're looking at is that God is good at every moment of your story. But that goodness looks different at different parts in the story. Right? I feel like if, if we could talk to Joseph, he would say that God was good to him at every moment of his life. But that that goodness looked very different from when he was a teenager to when he was a slave, to when he was in jail, to when he was second in command, to when he was having to reconcile with his brothers. Um, so I want to look at how God's goodness affects um, different points in our story, how it affects our past, our present, and our future. Um, if you're like me, um, you... You maybe live in the past, that the things that happened to you in the past replay over and over in your mind, the, the shameful things, the embarrassing things, the hurtful things, just replay like a broken record. And they can almost take over so that you don't even, don't even recognize the good things that are happening in the present uh, or have any hope for the future. Um, it may be that you actually live more in the present and that the anxiety and the overwhelmment of the things that happen seem like they just pile up and pile up and pile up until everything is right there in front of you and it just feels like one crisis after another after another that you can't handle and you don't know what to do with. Or it could be that you know what's coming in the future and that it's more suffering and that there is a crippling fear of what it's going to be, what it's going to look like. God wants to, God wants to meet you in every one of those places. He wants to help you overcome the shame of the past, the anxiety of the present, and the fear of the future. So first off, because God is good, he redeems our past. And this is really uh, kind of, we're going to focus in on verse 20 here. Um, but as we look, we see Joseph's brothers are stuck in the past. They have, they have come, they're living in Egypt, they're with Joseph, and as long as Jacob is alive, he kind of keeps an uneasy peace between the brothers. But as soon as he is dead, the brothers come and they think, Joseph is going to get us now. The time's come. We're going to get paid back for this evil thing that we did. And Joseph has a choice, right? He can continue to play out this broken family tradition in which brother is against brother, one trying to get ahead of the others. Or he can recognize 
that God has done something to change, to redeem what's happened to him in the past. And this doesn't mean that the things that happened to him weren't evil. I think incredibly, everyone in the story recognizes that there was wrong done to Joseph. God redeeming our past does not change the hurtful things that happened. It changes the outcome. It changes the way we perceive them. It changes the way we interpret those things. And I was, I was struck this week as I was reading by Joseph's tears here. And I think just, just a recognition that he suffered. That his life was hard. That there was true pain that came at the hands of his family. And multiple times in the story you see that when Joseph is confronted with his brothers, confronted by the betrayal all he can do is weep because evil has been done. And so what we see in verse 20 is not that God wipes it out. It's that God sees the evil thing that is done and he turns it around so that evil does not have the final say, so that suffering is not the end but good is the end. Life is the end. And so Joseph can say at the end of his story, looking back, this thing happened to me. God used it. He brought me to Egypt not only to keep my family alive, but to keep all of Egypt alive, the countries around Egypt alive, and that would have never happened if I hadn't come here. That is what it looks like for God to redeem your past. He doesn't wipe out the hard thing that happened, but he allows you to see the way he has stepped into the story to bring good, to bring salvation instead of the evil that was meant. And I think it's important that we recognize that this can only be said, this can only be done in light of the whole story, right? It, it, Joseph has to be at the end of his life to be able to say this, to be able to hear this, to be able to speak these words. And I think so often we can kind of weaponize, that, may, that maybe that's too strong of a word, um, the idea that God redeems, that he changes evil and works it for good too soon, right? That for someone that's actively going through suffering, this is not what they need to hear. This is not comforting. This is what it looks like for God to redeem our past, not our present. Um, just a, a quick example. Um, From the time I was a, a teenager into my 20s, I, I suffered um, with really dark depression and suicidal thoughts. Um, and those were, those, were, those were really hard, dark times. 
Um, I feel like as God brought me through that, I had an experience um, probably around the time I was 30. Um, I was at a, I was in Istanbul. We were at a high school graduation. This is for the Christian school there. Um, and at the graduation, I could, I could feel those feelings of, of shame and disappointment and darkness welling up in me. And I felt this gentle nudge of God. There's someone here that feels this way, that wants to hurt themselves. And I was actually able to speak to the principal um, and just kind of to the side. He knew some things that were going on. We were able to, to talk to a young man there who was planning on killing himself. And if you had told me at 17, don't worry about feeling depressed because in 13 years, God's going to do something good with this. That's worthless. But now I can look back and say God took what the enemy wanted to use for evil and he redeemed it. He used it for good to save a life. That is how God's goodness works. That is how he redeems. So what do we do? What do we do in the present then, right? When we're actively going through pain and suffering, um, it brings us to our next point. That in the moment when we can't see how God is going to, to, to turn things around, when we can't yet see the pattern of, rise, uh, of falling and rising that all we see is the falling and the pain, we need to know that because God is good, he is with us in the present. He is with us. Two times in the story of Joseph, we're told that God is with him. And maybe surprisingly, it's not at the high points in his life. It's not when he was having a dream that he was going to be uh, bowed down to by his family. Um, it wasn't when he was second in command of Egypt. Of course, of course God was with those, was with Joseph then, right? But the text wants to highlight Two particular moments, and it is when Joseph is at his absolute lowest. So the first is immediately after he's been sold into slavery. So both of these are in Genesis 39. Um, so verses 1 and 2 say, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And we see the same thing again, that after Joseph is thrown into prison, in verse 20, it says, Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. 
But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And incredibly, Joseph, at his worst, is when we are meant to see God the most present, the most near. I'm blown away that God shows him kindness, and that kindness looks like years and years in prison. The kindness is God not abandoning him there. The kindness, the goodness of God is God entering into the story at the darkest moments and suffering alongside us. Rather than a God that's far off, that's distant, that doesn't show up, or even even a God that is Superman and comes and snaps his fingers so that we never experience any pain. Neither of those are what the Bible represents as God's goodness. What the story of Joseph shows us, that in our worst moments, in our slavery to sin, in the darkest jail, in the deepest pit, God comes and is with us. He suffers alongside us. This is a God that bleeds. And there is absolutely no other God in the world There is no other religion in the world that sees their God like this. It's too outrageous to think that a God would come down and suffer with his people. This is actually the way God works. And if we are able to sit long enough in his presence... If, we're, if, if we live this way, where God suffers with us, we actually begin to see that this is how God redeems our past. It's by his presence. It's by him being in the pit with us. It's by him walking through death and suffering into glory that means death and suffering do not have the last word. That his people will be with him in glory out of suffering. And when we're in crisis, when we can't see past what is happening right now, when we're hurting, that's, that's what we need. We need to know a God that is beside us, walking with us, that will never leave us or forsake us. One of the things that I think we need to look at here is that our circumstances do not determine or reflect God's goodness. And actually, I think this is one of the biggest lies that the church believes today. 
that the people of God believe. That what I do or my circumstances determine or show how God is treating me. That's called karma. It's not found anywhere in this book. What determines God's actions is his goodness, period. And all it takes is one look at Joseph's life that the moments that we would say he is experiencing the blessings of God, he's acting the worst. Okay? When he gets dreams and visions from God, he rubs it in the face of his family. The brothers say, it says that the brothers hated him for his dreams and his words. Okay? If God, if God really acted and dealt with us according to how we live, right? Joseph would have never ended up in Egypt. Joseph, God would have changed his mind. So I'm not going to work with this guy. I'll leave him in the pit to die. When he's second in command of Egypt, you think, surely God's blessing him now, right? When his brothers come, he lies to them. He manipulates them. He has one of them in jail for a year plus. Right? Our circumstances, our sin, the way we live our lives has nothing to do with how God chooses to show his goodness to us. God is near us regardless of how we are living. His presence does not get taken away because of our seemingly difficult circumstances or because of our good circumstances. Because God is good and he does not leave his people. Right? Because we, we all screw up. We all go through suffering. God would never work with anyone if it was dependent on us. And praise God it's not. It's dependent on his goodness. Ah, finally, God, because he is good, he holds our future. God, because he is good, he takes away the fear that we have when looking forward. The end of chapter 50, we see that Joseph is looking ahead at what God is going to do. And that's, it's one of the incredible things about maturing and growing as a child of God. That as he redeems our past, as we experience him in the present, as we experience his presence, we learn to trust him. We learn to see this pattern falling and rising 
begin to see how God is shaping our lives to look more like Jesus, we find that we can actually say we know who holds our future. And we can sing, all my life you've been faithful. And because of that faithfulness, we can look ahead and trust that God has continued to be faithful, that he's going to continue to be good, that he's continue to be with us. And so Joseph tells his brothers, don't worry. I'm going to take care of your family. I'm not going to hold this. God is going to continue to turn what you meant for evil into good, not just in this generation, but in the generation to come. That there is going to be a legacy of goodness, a legacy of God bringing life and salvation to his people because he turned evil around and used it for good. And then Joseph actually looks farther as he's getting close to death. He tells his sons that God is surely going to bring his people back to the promised land. And so he tells them, take me with you when you go. Take my bones back with me because there is a bigger promise than us being rescued in Egypt. God has a bigger purpose and it's that for a people to be established that reflect God's glory. <laughs> not even death, not even in the face of death does Joseph doubt that God is gonna continue to be good, that he's gonna continue to fulfill his promises. So I mentioned that Joseph was the great-grandson of Abraham. Um, and so the end of Joseph's life is actually the end, in some ways, of Abraham's immediate family. Um, in a lot of ways, it answers the question of, how is, how is God going to use this family because God made promises to Abraham that he would bring blessing to all the nations. That those that blessed him, God would bless, and those that cursed him, God would curse. And then immediately you see his children fighting among one another. What do you do when Abraham's children are the ones doing the cursing? How does God resolve it? He resolves it by one of his children saying this is the end. Right? That what you meant for evil, God is going to turn to good. And that God's family will be the source of life. Joseph's story is also the end of Genesis. And at the beginning of Genesis, we see a good God create a good world. And then his people immediately fall 
into sin and into death. I think Aaron even said, somebody from the stage said, that God would not let his good creation continue in brokenness. So how does he do it? He uses this exact same pattern of falling and rising, of suffering and death and glory. That there is a son of Abraham that is coming. There is a son of Adam that is coming that is going to enter into this story He's going to be betrayed by his brothers. He'll be lowered into the ground. He'll be left for dead. And in that very place that was meant for evil, in the most cruel instrument of torture and death the world has known on the cross it was meant for evil God turns that around for good and brings glory and life and salvation to his people to the entire world because suffering and death will not be the end of the story a good God made a good world, and he will not let it stay in brokenness. He will bring good from the evil that was intended for his creation. And that is our hope. That is what we see in the pattern of Joseph's life. It's what we see in the pattern of our own lives as we live through suffering, as God redeems our past, as he's with us in the present, as he holds our future. Um, just a couple of things as we finish. Some ways to, to practice this. Um, I think number one is sharing our stories with others. All right? Testimony is, is one of the greatest gifts that God gives his people. Is when you can talk with a brother or sister and tell them a story of how they, you went through suffering and God brought you through it. That he changed the outcome. That he brought you through pain into life. And it doesn't have to be. It does not have to be I had cancer and God took the cancer away. It can be I was really just going through a hard time. And God brought me through it because he's faithful, because he's good. Or anything in between those things. As we share our stories, we learn the pattern. We learn what it looks like for God to be good and to bring us through pain into life. Um, Yeah, so we tell our stories to others. Um, and then I think we, it's important that we tell our stories to ourselves. Um, 
One of my, one of my favorite pictures in the Bible is the, the stones of remembrance uh, that the people of Israel put up after they crossed the Jordan River. Um, and incredibly, they actually they put up two piles of stones. One pile of stones they put on the edge of the river so that they could always see it. It was always there. At any moment they could look and remember God brought us through the river. And there was another set of stones that they put in the middle of the river. And that pile of stones would only be seen when there was drought, when the river wasn't high enough, when there wasn't enough water to go around. In the hardest times, then they would be reminded God was with us then too, right? Even at our worst, even at our lowest. And we have to have stories like that in our lives. Um, I was thinking, in preparing for this, Julie and I have been going through a, a hard season being back in America. Um, and there are so many stories of the first stack of stones, right, that we, that we just see all the time <laughs> that we can remember. It's the friends that we've met here. It's the way God has provided for jobs, for homes, um, even the way God brought us to fellowship. I think those things are, are, are constant reminders that he is good and that he has brought us to this place for a reason. Um, there's another story that I, that I tell myself um, when things are hard and those, that first pile of stones doesn't cut it. Um, it's actually, before we were leaving, while we were in Turkey, um, we, were, we were praying about the decision um, and I walked down, um, there was a park near our house, uh, and it had like strips of uh, splash pads, right? It was summer, it was hot, it was nasty. It, um, and I was kind of sitting to the side, praying, sweating, hot, and I kept kind of looking over at, you know, the water that was spraying up. I was like, man, I bet it'd be really nice over there. As I'm praying about going, like, leaving the place where I'm at and going somewhere else, man, I bet it'd be really nice over there. I'd really, I'd really like to go just kind of splash in that water a little bit and get a change. And God whispered, I want you to go over there. I want you to go over there walk over here. And I, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. As soon as I walked over here, all of the splash pads shut off. <laughs> oh, man, it was so painful. But I felt like God said, I'm here in this spot as well. that the water is not the thing that you're looking for. And that it's going to be hard <laughs> if you move. If you go somewhere else, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to be with you. And that is the story 
that I have to tell myself when things really feel dry, literally, figuratively. (laughs) That we have to practice reminding ourselves of when God has shown up. We have to tell ourselves the story of ways that God has redeemed our past. We have to tell ourselves that God is with us in our present suffering and that he's going to continue to be with us. He's going to hold our future no matter what our fears say. I think more than anything else, we have to look to Jesus. The one that we sang about, the suffering son, the one who bleeds, the one who did not give up on us, the one who would go through anything to save his family, the one who would let nothing stop him, not even death, to find you, to rescue you, to turn the evils and the sufferings of this world into something that brings glory and honor to God the Father. We're going to invite the band up. Um, We'll have the prayer team here. Um, Really, I felt like the place that God wanted to meet people was in present suffering. I feel like if you're here this morning and you are feeling overwhelmed by all of the things in our world that make it look like God is not in control, when you're feeling overwhelmed by the darkness, um, I felt like this morning was especially for you to come and to be reminded of God's presence. Um, but really, this morning, it's, it's, it's for everyone. If you need to know that God is redeeming your past, you come and pray, come and find somebody beside you to pray with. Um, and I think also, too, if, if you have walked through a season and feel like God has brought you out of something, this would be a moment to share as well if you're feeling brave. The microphone is open the people besides you are open to hear. They need encouragement. Um, let's pray and the prayer team can come up. Father, we thank you that when you see a world that is broken and full of pain and suffering, that you don't look away. How we praise you, Jesus, that you came and you entered into the darkest moments of our lives. And you brought light. God, I pray for those that are experiencing your darkness this morning, that your presence would come and bring light and hope to them we thank you that you never give up. That you take the most painful places. That 
you enter in and you recognize the pain. You say, I want to take this somewhere else. I want to bring life out of this. I want to bring glory out of this. So God, would you be glorified this morning as we praise and worship your name. Amen. Thank you.